you are and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Is it your New Year's resolution? Can we help? We'll be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week. Bombfell and Blue Apron. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who's, like, really smart. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great 2018 in earnest, because last time it was predictions. Now we're like in the real swing of things, you know? Yeah, this is first actual real episode of the year. Uh, Christian, I know you're you're a little under the weather. How you doing? You feeling okay? Uh, I'm great. I'll talk about it a little. I mean, I'm not, but uh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'll talk about it a little bit later in the playlist. Being sick and playing games at the same time can be fun sometimes. You get you had a fever today. You, you still you got a fever. You just got a fever for the flavor. It uh, what, um, may, if, is my wife listening? I'm fine. <laughs> more, more cowbell. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, we are so glad uh, you're uh, you're sticking with us, and we're so glad that other voice you heard. We have our first official guest of 2018, uh, and I'm so glad this is somebody I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while. You know that DLC, as always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for Describing the Last Colossus. Nice. Because we have the author of books on both The Last Guardian and Shadow of the Colossus. And you may know him from Oculus and PlayStation and 1UP and EGM. One of my favorite people, Nick Sutner is here. Hey, Nick. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Thanks for the very kind intro. I'm super glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, man. I'm so, so glad to, to have you on the show. We've been trying to make this happen for a while now, and I'm glad it's finally happening. Um, I'm especially glad because we're going to talk some tabletop time later in the show, and I know you're going to have some stuff to say about VR. So um, I, I'm I'm giddy with anticipation. Thanks, man. Yeah. And it's uh, Nick Sutner with uh, two T's and one N, by the way. So, you know, <laughs> that's right. Flip it around. <laughs> that's right. Uh, all right. Uh, let us jump into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And, um, you know, it's the beginning of the year. Not a ton of stories going on, but some interesting stuff. Um, So, Nick, you are our guest. You get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be the story of the week? Oh, sure. Um, Interesting. Uh... Well, I like your your note about the AGDQ, uh, also known as the Awesome Games Done Quick, kicking off. Um, I mean, it's not like news per se, but it's nice. It just started today, and it's a really rad event of a bunch of speedrunners getting together in a banquet hall in Herndon, Virginia, um, and speedrunning a bunch of games for like four or five days. Uh, and I was just looking at the schedule, and there's always an awesome mix of like 
retro stuff and weird rarities and cool indie stuff, uh, which is I'm, I'm looking forward to watching some of it. That's going to be hard to um, especially because I'm making my own schedule these days. It's hard to like get actual work done when that's going on. <laughs> yeah, man, I love I love that you mentioned this. And we always like to bring up uh, the Games Done Quick events because they are just pure positivity in the world of video games it is mm-hmm. it is something you can totally applaud they're a blast to watch it's amazing to see that level of skill and people doing things inside the confines of video games that you don't see very often it's an amazing level of skill and commitment and knowledge of the game and it's for a good cause um they benefit the uh cancer prevention or excuse me the prevent cancer foundation and uh, they've already raised $6.6 million since 2011 for that foundation. So it, it's a great cause. Uh, it raises raises money for a great cause. It is really cool. And it just makes you feel good about video games. Yeah, it's also like the the, the sort of uh, entertainment value and quality is really high. And by that, I mean like originally sort of when this was first introduced years ago and I started watching some, I was sort of assuming that like the lesser known games would not be that impressive to watch and that people would, would have really spent time sort of finding all the weird glitches and secrets and stuff and, and best ways to get through the more popular games. And it's actually not the case. And it's like every single game, no matter if you haven't, you know, you know how weird and obscure it is, uh, has like its total, you know, super pro who's going to make it look amazing when they're playing. And usually like uh, some commentators, whether it's them or someone else to like actually explain what's going on so it's really like just the production value is super high it's like really you know amazingly well produced uh the whole thing so anything you tune into night or day really is going to be super interesting to watch um i guess like probably evo is that way for a lot of people but for me this is this is sort of the more interesting streaming commentary thing to watch and there's there's a couple i wanted to call out actually just that it's on the schedule really random things but on wednesday night uh, starting at 11 5 uh, p.m there's a game called enviro bear 2000 i don't <laughs> know if you guys ever played this but this is a no. really weird uh uh, sort of like um, punk rock art um, uh, indie game by Justin Smith, uh, who went on to do a bunch of other stuff. This is a weird, obscure game from like five plus years ago, and I can't imagine like how it's going to be like a speed run. So that's the sort of thing that I like to see here. And then right after that, at 11.25 p.m. on Wednesday is Dog's Life on PS2 which is this really, I don't know if you ever played Dog's Life, but it's you play as a dog and you poop on windshields and it's just a really bizarre, like not very good game. But it's another one where like, I'm just excited to, to watch someone play through it really quickly. I love it. I love that people pick these weird, obscure games that very few people played through at any kind of regular speed. Right. And yeah. These guys are, are speed running. Uh, today, there was a speed run of Skyrim. Uh, which is is pretty awesome. Um, just looking over the schedule here, uh, there's a speed run of Burnout Paradise on Monday. Uh, there, it's like it's such interesting takes. There's a speed run on Tuesday of Silent Hill, like the old Silent Hill. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, so so cool. It, it's I, also it's also interesting to me with a game like Silent Hill, where for me, even going back and playing the first one would see, like it's still super creepy and nerve wracking, and I can't really like. I mean, I tend to play games really sort of immerse myself in playing character and everything, but it's really hard for me to separate myself completely. Whereas this, I think any speed running like this is doing sort of the true extreme of that of like extra, you know, uh, extricating yourself from it and just looking at it as like this pure, just mechanical thing you need to fight your way through and strip out any, uh, you know, personality or anything from the game usually. Yeah. Uh, Thursday for me is the real, the real big day. Uh, there's an Ultima six speed run. Uh, I'm a huge Ultima fan. So watching an old, old PC game, uh, actually, it's on SNES, the, that version, but an old game that I loved, uh, speedrunning. And then you also get the Dishonored All Collectibles speedrun, 
uh, that day. Uh, I love that game is so crazy anyway that seeing people use weird powers and exploits to to make that game go. And then Hyper Light Drifter and Spelunky at, oh, yeah. at night. That's oh. a great back to back. Oh man, so good. And so. it's, it's I guess Spelunky's the sort of thing where a lot of these speedruns, like even though they're doing it live, they're doing it for charity, and it's not sort of like they're necessarily their best run. Uh, you don't see like a lot of records broken, but that's the sort of game that totally, depending on the seed, it could be that we watch the new like world record run. Um, right. So it's always fun to watch. So great, man. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Guys, check out Awesome Games Done Quick, especially if you haven't watched uh, Games Done Quick event before. I think you'll find, as Nick mentioned, that it is uh, very watchable. The commentary is fascinating. You usually get a cool history of how things were discovered and how these games got faster and faster. Really good. One other uh, one-off one I just wanted to call out from a couple of years ago, actually, in case you guys or anyone else hasn't seen this video. Um, there's a version of Tetris called Tetris the Grandmaster, uh, sort of like one of the ultimate versions that that competitive Tetris players play. And in 2015, and you can you can go watch this video if you there's a Kotaku story on it. If you just Google like Tetris Mastermind Kotaku or uh, Awesome Games on Quick uh, Tetris Grandmaster, you'll see it. You guys know the video I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. It's all it's, the, it's all in the it's like blank screen and they're just doing it. Yeah. So basically, this guy gets to sort of this like uh post credits easter egg part of the the like you know not only he's playing the hardest version or the fastest version of tetris already but then he's playing it where all the blocks turn invisible as they hit the playing field meaning that he's literally remembering the the you know placement of every block as it goes down so in his mind he's like constructing this tetris field while dropping new blocks into it and he has to beat that at top speed as well and it's just, it's like, I don't know. It's inhuman. It's inhuman. <laughs> it, it is, is inhuman. absolutely, it feels like you're watching a superhuman superpower. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a great watch too, because you can just tell like when he, you know, he sort of, he's happy when he unlocks it. And then he's like, all right, I need like complete silence from the room. And you just watch this like master totally just jam out on something with this insane level of concentration for two minutes. And then like, you know, shriek when he does it because spoiler, you know, he beats it. So yeah. anyway, it's an, it's an awesome watch. It's really what these things are about. So I check that video out if you, if nothing else. Absolutely. Uh, very cool. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a story of the week? Well, I mean, you, you almost teased into the transition, but uh, I wonder if the Games Done Quick version of Burnout is the remastered version. I know it won't be, but that, that rumor has bubbled back up again that we're going to get a Burnout Paradise remaster of this version, or, or this current leak is, is claiming a PS4 version. It's going to be released in Japan on March 16th. Um, before there was a uh, in December, a Brazilian site Game Press spotted a PS4 and an Xbox One listing for Burnout Paradise. Back then, people were wondering if it was going to be a new game entirely, but now it looks like it's maybe just going to be a remaster. But surely, surely, Jeff, that hints at the franchise coming back, right? We're not just going to get a remaster and then and then nothing said again. We're getting a new Burnout eventually at some point, right? I would like to think so. It doesn't seem like there's anybody working on that, um, but I hope I'm wrong. I just don't know who's who's working on that. Uh, Criterion. Okay. I don't think so, but okay. Um, was it like four years ago at E3 where they showed just like wireframe of like a car and they said in EA was like, and we're working on burnout. And, and no, like that it was, was it. What they were showed was this crazy hybrid kinetic game where, you, where you're like on atvs and hang gliders and wingsuits and it was all everything and that's what well, they said they, that, 
Wasn't it a game they just showed at uh, like Gamescom again recently? There and Laura's did a different game that they revealed where it was sort of like it looked a bit like MotorStorm, but it was all across all different vehicles. Is that yeah. something different? I don't know. I didn't see them. I didn't see that from Gamescom. Maybe I missed it, but I know that like two E threes or three E threes ago, they were they showed like the really early stages of that. No, um, that is oh gosh, um, Fever Brain and my already bad brain there is a game coming out that does look like a motor stormy thing but i I think that is something different and that is coming and has like release date and stuff like that and then i forget how many e3s ago it was but yeah it was it was like you jumped onto an atv and then flew up out of something else and did something and they kind of but it was all like very placeholder like wireframe or like concept art or something and they said like and we haven't forgotten about burnout um are you guys inherently interested in Burnout Paradise as a remaster or are you more interested just because it, it sort of, you know, makes you think Burnout might be coming back? I'm super excited for the idea of a remaster. I, I think if they did it, you know, did justice to it and upraised everything and give us some nicer textures, perhaps yeah. uh, I would be super into that. I, I know that Burnout Paradise already works on my Xbox one. If I just pop the disc in and I already have that disc. So technically I could play it right now in fact after i read this news i was tempted to just do that because i haven't even tried it on xbox one yet but um i i think a full remaster if they really did a nice job with it i would be so excited for i love that game it's 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 an interesting one because it sort of was at the time it was like the burnout game that no one wanted but that turned out really well and then it turned out to be sort of the end of the series right um so i think it's sort of a weird one historically um but it is a really good game i mean i played the crap out of it i got all 500 gates or whatever which took me forever i remember that was one of those games where i i had driven through like 498 gates and then like three years later i picked it back up out of nowhere and found the last two gates in like 10 minutes (laughs) that's amazing so uh it's a great game i played a lot of it but it is it's sort of a, a weird one where it fits in um and i wonder if uh, i guess they haven't even done remakes of the other ones like burnout 3 which i think is probably the pinnacle yeah a lot of people prefer burnout 3 i have such great memories of burnout paradise just like hanging out we should just hang out in that game we oh that's just right yeah, get yeah. on and then you do those those crazy um what did they call them um it was like playlists or set lists or something where it would just like give you challenges one after another and you race to get to the challenge and then you do the challenge together it was just this cool communal hangout game it was almost like going to a skate park together it was awesome that's true i guess i I honestly totally forgot about even that multiplayer element but that was a big part of it and it was sort of like uh you know yeah just using the game as a chat lobby if nothing else while you're just messing around in this fun open world yeah 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 i think it was ahead of its time in so many ways and then with in terms of bringing people together and having a not persistent world, but a, a, a game where you could come in and there's always something to do. And the way it brought that to racing, I mean, we weren't even seeing that in other types of games yet. And here they made a racing game that had all of that stuff in it and also had good racing still, like the controls were still fun. Um, yeah, it, it was a, it's a special game. I'm not sure. I haven't played it. I still have a PS3 hooked up that and I have like the complete edition on it. I haven't played it in a long time. I'm curious how rose-colored glasses my my uh, eyes are for it, but uh, it is certainly a game that will always be one of like the top twenty games for me, even wow. if I haven't played again. I don't know if we were clear on the the news bit here, but there was a a Japanese listing that listed for March sixteenth. Um, so you know maybe we'll be hearing about this really soon. If so, if that date is accurate you would think it would not be just a J- Japanese release, that it would actually be a worldwide release and that we would hear about it pretty darn soon. So hopefully this will happen. Now I sort of want it to be a Japan-only release just to see people forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be odd. Such a uh, weird one. <laughs> um, so 
for my story of the week, I just dropped something in that I uh, I didn't have listed earlier, but I, I figured just saw a good call. <laughs> since Nick was here, I had to make this my story of the week. It is full on rumor. It may be nothing, but there is an image that was released from Gen Design, which is uh, Fumito Ueda's current uh, studio. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people speculating that this may be a hint about his next game. Of course, he's the designer of uh, Eco and Shadow of the Colossus and Last Guardian. And this image is really uh, stark. It's There's not much there, but there's a – looks like a female sort of glowing lady leaning, leaning on a, a pedestal. And there's some sort of giant creature arm uh, off to the side of her. And this was just – posted we don't know anything about it it may just be nothing it may be concept art that was never used but it also might be the fourth game from the team eco uh uh lineage yeah so nick my the reason <laughs> i'm bringing it up as a as a as the foremost expert uh what do you make of this well i yeah i mean i honestly don't know any you know any more than you do but uh you know uh even with hanging out with the, the team and stuff when i was working on the last guardian book um uh it looks cool i mean i think if it didn't have the big sort of monster arm you could look at it and say like oh it looks sort of like the pedestal from shadow of the colossus that mono lies on except the girl looks a little more like yorda from eco um but it looks sort of like his you know aesthetic and type of characters and pose and light and every lighting and everything but then suddenly it's got this weird like you know golem arm or something uh uh, which is really curious. And it looks like a, I don't know, a curled hand with like a big fleshy lump. Uh, it's yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm not sure, but it's, it's sort of a nice, a nice thing to get, um, you know, especially like relatively soon from, from that team, I think. Um, Do you think no, it's it, not that I, soon, but I mean, we waited about 400 years for the last guardian to release. Do you think it is too soon to be talking about a next project from them? Does that make it seem less likely? No, I think I think that was a pretty specific situation. I think it wasn't just like straight up that, you know, the game took 10 years of, of constant development. So I, I would imagine things would be a bit sooner. Right. But obviously super exciting either way. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I know Last Guardian probably got a bit of a mixed reception, especially after that long. And I know a lot of people loved it. And it's one of their favorite games and other people who were really frustrated by it. But I think either way, it's still like a super interesting, specific game that... Uh, accomplishes like you know with Trico accomplishes something amazing regardless of what else you thought of the game so uh yeah I think his ambition and sort of authorship and specificity and what he wants to make is is really unique in the industry and and usually he you know he's given the budget to pull things off the right way which a lot of other people wouldn't be able to get in that realm so uh you know I'm obviously super excited for whatever he's gonna do well, Christian, you named uh, The Last Guardian your favorite game of that year. It was your top game. Oh, awesome. Are you excited about this? Do you think this is pointing to a new project from them? Or do you think it's a, a whole lot of uh, excitement about nothing? I am excited. I, I'm I'm hopeful that it is a new game. But I also try to, to live my video game life um, under the idea that nothing exists until I can buy it. So, um it's hard, right? Right now, I'm excited about the Shadow of the Colossus remaster coming out next month because that's very close to me being able to buy. I've played it; it looks incredible. Um, if he and his team is making a, if they're making a new game, I will be very excited about that. Uh, K pops in a Twitch chat says uh, he's teasing his 2028 game. I see, which I think is <laughs> funny. Hopefully, it won't be that long. But yeah, I mean, 
him and his team have made some of my favorite games of all time also. Uh, so, but it's hard, right? It's hard to get excited. I remember, I remember when I was just a kid, when I was 15 years old and Shenmue 3 was announced at E3. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard, right? It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's cool. I mean, it's definitely the kind of thing that could be completely misconstrued. It's like, oh no, we just put out this fun image, but it also could be a sweet tease. And I love me some sweet teases. So I mean, as long as, as long as things end up coming out, I don't mind them being teased, even if it's like a decade ahead of time. Like I'm cool with the little tease that it's something that I'm just sort of perennially excited about in the back of my brain somewhere. Uh, you know, if it's years and years and then it just gets canceled, then obviously that's rough. But but I'm fine otherwise if there's sort of just these running little things in the back of my brain being excited for games that, you know, might come out one day. I guess I I, I Maybe that's more the the more interesting topic here because I I think that I am kind of like that, but I up to a point. Like I want to be teased up to a point, and then I want you to just go away and make your thing and come back when it's done. I, I'll be teased, right, and I'll, right. I like maybe not knowing if there's are they still even working on that. What I don't need is this constant drip 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 of like yeah, here's more more well, stuff. I- I think I heard you guys talking about that with uh, Phantom. With I'm uh, not sorry, not Phantom Pain. Um, Death Stranding. Uh, yeah, Death Stranding. Right. Yeah. Like that's the a good example. And, and I agree with you. Yeah. At this point, it's like you know, I don't really need to see more of the game. Uh, I just want to play the finished thing because I'm intrigued. Wait, you've I seen some of the game? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, no, I've seen what you guys have seen. You know, it's, supposedly it's it's related to the game. So, but I feel like um, I don't know. The the more I sort of see at this point. I'm only likely to be less excited because now it's like this interesting weird and I don't want to change topics to that game. But even with this, too, it's like I don't necessarily, you know, this teaser image is abstract, gets me excited. If this is a game, I want to play it. Uh, It's in a way a game. So, of course, I'm going to play it. So the less I can be shown between now and release, uh, the better. Yeah, I think that I think I agree with that for sure. All right, we got a lot of games to talk about that we've been playing uh, the last few weeks since we've had special episodes. Uh, I got a lot of stuff that I want to I want to chat about, but we do need to thank our first sponsor, which is Bombfell. Now, this is a great a great sponsor as far as I'm concerned, especially for me because I'm a person that really hates shopping for clothes, but I also like looking good. And that is <laughs> that is a combination that doesn't work. It really just doesn't work most of the time because I want to look stylish. I want to look hip. I want to look good in my clothes, but I hate buying them. And it drives my wife bonkers because uh, I don't want to go to the store with her when I'm at the store. I don't want to try things on. I don't want to look around. I just want to go home. I don't like spending time at the mall. But luckily, Bombfell entered our life. And my wife was a little skeptical about ordering clothes online because what Bombfell does is – not just an online store. It is actually a personalized uh, stylist that you get matched up with. You tell them things about yourself. You give them your, your size. It's really easy. You, you sign up. It takes two minutes. Uh, but you fill out this little thing about the kinds of things you like, the way you dress now. Uh, and then you say, I'd like to either improve that or keep it the same or I want to get some clothes for work. Or they give them some parameters, some loose parameters. And then they assign you a specific stylist who knows their stuff. And that person sends you an email and says, here's some of the stuff I'm thinking about for you. You tell them, oh, I'm interested in pants or a button up or a short sleeve or, you know, you give them some parameters and they go, here's the stuff I'm thinking of. And you go, and eh, no, or yeah, that looks awesome. And then they send it to you and you have seven days to try it on and make sure it fits. And you can send it back for a full refund if, if it doesn't. Uh, but you just buy as you need 
And the clothes blew my wife's mind. The clothes that we got, she couldn't believe A, how well it fit. And B, how good it looked and how stylish it made me feel and look. Uh, she was so impressed. And it takes all of the <laughs> horrible stuff off her plate. And if you are listening to this and you're like my wife and you have somebody in your life who drives you bonkers like I drive her, you can actually sign up on behalf of your partner to Bombfell, which is cool. Um, I, I'm telling you, my, the clothes I got from Bombfell so far are like my favorite clothes in my closet. And we're going to help you out. If you go to bombfell.com slash DLC, that's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com slash DLC, you'll get $25 off your first purchase. So sign up, check it out, look at the clothes and get start a relationship with that stylist because it's the same one and they email you back and forth and you can you know talk about the things you want. It's really cool. It is like having a personal shopper. And you get $25 off your first purchase because you listen to this show. Bombfell.com slash DLC. Bombfell. Open and clothes. Gotta love them just for that. Oh, man. So many games uh, over the uh, the holiday break. Uh, Nick. I see that you have been playing a lot of really interesting, cool stuff too. Where do you want to start? Um, well, I felt sort of bad because a lot of my games were were older at this point, either from earlier last year or previous years. That's okay. Um, but I guess I'll just start with the most recent thing I played, which is last night I played The Flame in the Flood. Yes. Um, have you guys spent much time with it? I played it when it when it was first uh, out, but I didn't get too far into it. Is it sucking you in? Um, so uh, yeah, I, I missed it. I feel like it's one in my sort of indiepedia that I that I missed and and always meant to go back to, and it always seemed intriguing. And uh, I I enjoyed it for sure. I found it super stressful. Uh, <laughs> yes, especially in a funny way where like I'm also playing Zelda right now because I I didn't get a Switch until the last couple months, and so I just went and then I played Mario first, so I'm just going back to Zelda. So I'm mostly in the middle of Zelda, but sort of took a break from that. And Zelda's not really stressful, but I also sort of get sick of the inventory management sometimes. Yes. Uh, and then I went to Flame in the Flood, where it's like not only is it intense stress, <clears throat> but when you go in your inventory, it doesn't pause, and your inventory management is is that much harder than Zelda because you can you're constantly full and you constantly can't pick stuff up, mm-hmm. uh, and you're like dying in the background while you're, <laughs> while you're trying to do it. So it was sort of like hilariously stressful. Um, but the presentation is great, the idea is great, where you're just sort of drifting down this river with your dog and this raft and stopping in different places and uh, sort of you know procedural uh, little towns and tents and or um campsites and wilderness and gathering stuff and it it felt a bit like don't starve but like on the move where you're sort of constantly going and uh yeah i I'm, i definitely enjoyed what i played i don't know again it's, it, it, i found it pretty stressful so maybe i wasn't quite in the right mood for it but i'll i'll give it another few passes are you playing it on the switch i think it's out on switch now uh, it is yeah no i'm playing it on ps4 ah right uh yeah i put a few hours into this at the time as well but i i'm Similarly, I felt uh, like it didn't make me feel good. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, those survival games are real hit and miss with me because sometimes the stress, as you say, is, it's not fun. It, it just makes me not enjoy, not want to go back to the experience. But you're right. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, the animation is really evocative and, and interesting. And, um, this kind of the stuff that you discover along the way as you drift down the river and you get farther and farther in. Uh, is really cool, but man, it's a brutal game <laughs> yeah. and unforgiving. And uh, I, I found myself sort of just not 
wanting to go back it's, to it. It's funny, yeah, and it's also like I mean, like you said, very like soulful music and some really nice writing here and there. And uh, I think the way that it also teaches you everything fits together really nicely in a way that isn't overwhelming. I find a lot of sort of modern survival games to uh, just like sort of going through the tutorial. It's like a lot of stuff you have to remember, but here it introduces it to you at a great pace. Um, and the uh, at least um, I don't know if this was a conceit for the console version or if this was in the original version too, uh, but you can play on like the sort of beginner mode where it does have continues and isn't just like permadeath and everything. So it's a little friendlier in that sense. Um, but uh, but it, I, I also found it pretty like funny also in how difficult it was at some points. Not so much difficult, but just in what was happening to me where like I'm trying to find food and then I walk through poison ivy and then I get an infection and just like all these things stacking on top of each other uh, was, yeah, it was just it was, it was some like built-in comedy with that. But uh, anyway, so I just was given that a shot. So I, I liked it overall, but like you said, it's not sort of like enjoyable in, in the way that a lot of other stuff is. So you have to really be in the right mindset for it. Again, that's called The Flame in the Flood. Yep. And I actually think it would be a, a great game to play on Switch. It's cool that all, there are all these indie games uh, on Switch now. It just seems like a great console for that. Yeah, for sure. And I'm also really curious what that team is making next. I don't know if it, I don't know if they've announced it or whatever. I haven't I didn't check, but um it's been a long enough time. I imagine that there there is another thing coming and uh e- you know, even if it might ultimately not be the game for me, uh just having played it, I'm like, "All right, cool. I'm really curious in what they're going to make for the rest of time." Yeah. Um, you're also, you've also been playing uh, West of Loathing, which is a yeah. game I keep meaning to try and I haven't yet. I think you might love it. Not that I know your taste that well, Jeff, but I, you know, I know you like a, the good comedy and I think that's, that's rare in games, especially in great puns, uh, and wordplay. Uh, and West of Loathing is, is like, it might be the funniest game I've ever played. Like it's really like really high praise, like, you know, double fine level, just like legit actual, hilarious writing um i'd always sort of been dismissive of it because when you look at a screenshot or any video it's just sort of like stick figures running around like literal stick figures just some right. black and white but um it's funny because actually just yesterday uh i started reading understanding comics uh scott mcleod's book from 25 years ago yeah um uh which i'd never read and i'm sort of working on a little comic series with my brother so it felt important to read finally um and i and i actually wasn't even thinking about this when i put this on the list but uh the second chapter is all about uh you know just in in um illustration generally the less realistic something looks the more you can ascribe your own personality to it and sort of put yourself in it and why that's important for simplicity in cartoons and comics uh and i think west of loathing really has that effect where it is this very simple stick figure world but you can sort of put as much personality as you want on it and it's got a ton of writing where sort of everything you walk up and engage with has a little backstory or something funny to say about it and it's really just sort of this like um almost open world ish like adventure rpg where you're just going sort of town to town or visiting caves or settlements or different things and you're talking to different people and getting quests and finding items uh, and getting in sort of turn-based rpg style battles uh, but it just really never stops being like creative and interesting and hilarious uh, and some little like uh, funny like puzzles that are almost in different genres that pop up. And um, it's also a sequel to uh, Kingdom of Loving. Yeah, Kingdom of Loving, exactly. So I feel like I'm pretty late to the party on like getting excited about this. But this one, you know, came out last year, so it's relatively recent. Uh, and it is just really incredibly charming. And I'm really glad I ended up playing it and finally sort of. Um, you know, not being a jerk about the the stick figures. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's also really charming visually. Like as soon as you play it, you're like, oh, actually, it's it's you know, it looks really good too. Uh, it's yeah, just easy. You, you look at a screenshot, you're like, what? But yeah, in, in motion, it's a whole different animal. Yeah, uh, yeah. So really strong recommendation. 
Awesome. Yeah, I was a fan of Kingdom of Loathing back, back, back. It was like a browser game, you know, back in the, I don't know, early 2000s, I, th- I feel oh, like. Really? Um, and that, uh, Was that also like an Old West setting? No, no, it was, uh, you know, classic sort of like uh, fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but I think that they've, that game changed over time. They added a bunch of stuff to it. And I feel like now this, this new chapter this whole new game installment in this world uh is going to come with all of that all the time that they learned you know what they did in kingdom of loathing this i feel like it's even going to feel more mature and more complete so i've been meaning to try it i just haven't yet right yeah i mean i'm still playing it i played i put probably like 15 hours into it at least it's really big it was on my game of the year list like really yeah really great awesome awesome Um, anything else uh, I, I got some more. I don't know if you guys want to hop in with some and I'll come back or. Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got on your playlist? Well, I've been playing probably the, well, I'll start with what I teased at the beginning. Then I'll talk about what I've been playing the most of. So your, uh, your sweet, sick person tease that my, you were. Uh, my sick person tease. On, uh, on, the, on the edge of our seat and <laughs> finding out about what phlegm has been spinning up. Very little, very little phlegm, uh, very high fever. Um, so. Uh, I guess it's Sunday right night right now. Friday, Friday night, Friday work fine, home fine, playing some PUBG uh, late at night with um, a friend, friend of the show, Chris Bergman, and uh, playing, having fun, doing great, getting some top tens, top fives, lots of PUBG was being played. Then I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go to bed. It is late. Then I got what I call to the bone cold. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's just like, to me, it's like this, basically it's a fever chill. <laughs> That's what I learned. But I was like, I gotta take a shower. I'm just freezing. I gotta warm up. Take a shower. I'm like, oh, I can't get warm. I gotta go to bed. Go to bed. Wake up the next morning. And I had the wildest dreams that night of Chris and I winning like five consecutive PUBG matches in a row with like the most heroic stuff happening, you know, like me <laughs> jumping out of a window, turning around and throwing a grenade into the building as he like things that you can't do in the game. Right. So, so in the dream, were you playing PUBG or were you like or were you the PUBG character? No, no, no. My dream, I was playing like the, so the, you were like uh, sitting in front of a monitor in your dream. Yes. The heroic moments were like how quick I was with WASD, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, PUBG, PUBG fever dreams. Yeah. And, and so it was so realistic as fever dreams i think often are as you know out there as they are also uh in my dream i took i i couldn't get screenshots done quick enough on my computer so i was using my phone to take pictures of it and so i (laughs) woke up that morning and i was gonna i was gonna text uh cheapy who i also play a decent amount of PUBG with i was gonna text and be like you've been replaced and i went to look for these pictures of these five back-to-back wins Oh, it was all a dream. I didn't have them. And I I get up and I walk out into the kitchen and my wife looks at me and she was like, we got to take your temperature. (laughs) And I had like 104 degree fever and it all made sense. But um, a lot of PUBG and 1.0 PUBG, you guys, it's really good. Um, I wish there was a a little more map variation. I know we have two now and there used to only be one, but um, getting greedy. I know, I of course, right? right. That's, that's how we all are. It's like, There's oh, this is two hundred percent more maps. <laughs> <laughs> now you want four maps. Well, now, that, now that I have one I want two What comes next? Um, but it, it is interesting, I think, because I have not played uh, Fortnite Battle Royale, which I probably should just to kind of get that experience. And I think it is interesting to see as more games come out with their Battle Royale modes or their 
uh, battleground mode. Yeah, you're um, not going to be able to keep up if you're like, I got to play all the other <laughs> battle royale modes. It's you, at this point, it will outpace you always. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if, uh, if it comes down to the intangibles about what will make the best one is what I I'm, I want to track over the course of this year because whether PUBG remains the king, I don't know. Right? It's not on PS4. It might never come to PS4. Uh, Fortnite is dominating online activity on PS4. There's a hundred other challengers coming at added on pc and i'm really curious to see if something can take this essentially multiplayer mode and add something else to it whether it's Fortnite and its build mechanic or something else and it can really capture this 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 uh craze in the next the next iteration of it i don't i don't know what it's going to be but i'm curious to watch over the course of the year to see if someone else can do it yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of other people do it. I mean, as you mentioned, there's already been like two or three announcements just in the last couple of weeks of games adding this mode. And I just think it's going to be a mode like Deathmatch or Capture the Flag. It's just going to be in games forever. Yeah, it's a hard, it's it's a little more server intensive though, right? To be able sure. to spin up a hundred, a hundred person games. And, it, and it's also a little bit uh, Groundhog Day-esque, right? Like just because you die and you pop out and you, it's live, die, repeat, right? You you die in a game, pop out, load into a new game, but someone is 98 or whatever, 50 people are still in that last instance that you popped out of as you try to pursue that chicken dinner. And so to have the, the server space to be able to run all these 100 person games concurrently, it has to be pretty demanding. And then if your game's not popular, how do you spin up or spin down that stuff? I don't know. Yeah. I guess I guess I'll also be curious with with that in mind. Like this isn't uh, a thing uh, necessarily that a you know a smaller team could do easily, um, and I think. Uh, putting a larger budget into a game like this means they're always going to have to keep it relatively safe or relatively close to the formula. Because uh, I, I think, it, I mean, I haven't played any of these these games yet, uh, mostly because I'm not much of a PC gamer and I haven't tried Fortnite on PS4 yet. But, um, you know, I, I would be curious once someone brings sort of a more unique uh, world and spin on it um, than even the games that there are now. And I hope that can happen um, considering there's sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, you have to keep it fairly low risk, like I said. Um, so I, I, you know, I do look forward to a future where in a few years, maybe even when this becomes sort of more doable for anyone, like what people do with that formula and what sort of weird worlds they try it in. Nick, I'm curious what your take on the debate that Brendan Green, player unknown himself, is kind of bringing up with regard to these Me Too games, adding it in. Do you think that it sort of dilutes the concept or do you think it's more the merrier and let's all iterate and competition makes everybody stronger uh yeah i would say competition makes everyone stronger just like thinking personally like uh it it would be weird if it was sort of the only game in town and and even that um if i'm remembering correctly is is based on some you know some other stuff before that uh he either i watched some of the um uh, Daniel Dwyer's documentary on it. Right. I forget the yeah, um, or the No Clip documentary. I forget if he if stuff he worked on or was inspired by things like Flashpoint and other military things. Is he just sort of brought some ideas together and made it work? Um, mm-hmm. So it, you know, everything is inspired by other games, and I think uh, maybe Fortnite did it a little sort of brazenly on the nose. Um, uh, but yeah, I think competition's competition's going to make it stronger. And if there is if there isn't any like yeah, what is the impetus for them to really innovate within PUBG? Right. Um, now that impetus is on everybody because right now you can't just make PUBG and have it be successful. You'll probably have some you know you'll have some guaranteed amount of success versus making something else right now while it's really hot. Um, but you're going to have to really innovate and in, like what is you know why is your battleground mode interesting or different and why should people play it instead of PUBG? So that's really right. just going to push everything further. 
I agree. Um, Christian, you got anything else on your playlist in your in your fevered state? Well, the thing I've been playing the most of in quarantine for my family is Splatoon 2. Man, that game is fun and it is perfect for when you, you're still a little feverish and you're not uh, – you don't need to be super competitive with headshots. And you think you're actually a squid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, let me as tell you about that. Not, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to say as long as you're not – you know throwing up because that that game might you know induce that a little bit <laughs> yeah no it, it's uh it's hard to talk about um for me at least in in any real depth because i don't want to disservice the game by saying it doesn't have any real depth um i don't play it with any real depth uh, i'm sure there is strategy to your loadout and maybe running with friends but i just jump in with randoms and change my loadout based on how I'm feeling at the moment, um, you know, big roller versus sniper or paintbrush or whatever. And I almost always have a really good time. And I think that's the highest praise I can say for that game, especially on a system like the switch, where if you have it digitally or whatever, and you're able just to pick it up each round is what four minutes, you can just jump in, play, jump out. The aesthetic is still really great. And I think if people passed it over or looking for something to do here in early 2018 um splatoon 2 it's just fun it's just it's just a lot of fun it's also interesting to me that you're playing that and PUBG at the same time like that i mean i haven't played either game so i'm not speaking from any any point of knowledge here but those seem like things you would sort of play one or the other and dedicate your time to so it's interesting to me that you can hop back and forth between them and still enjoy it and obviously the aesthetic's very different uh but even sort of like in the ballpark of playing a multiplayer shooter at the same time yeah they're very different play styles whereas PUBG is just so much downtime well depending on you know where you drop in but requires precision and strategy and I'm usually playing duos so coordinating with your teammate and then Splatoon 2 where I mean as far as I'm concerned the Switch still doesn't have voice chat right like I mean I know I guess technically they do but I've never I've never used it uh since it first came out I tried the app or whatever um so it's just kind of getting in and just slopping paint around and just having fun so you're it's not like you're like your palate cleanser yeah yeah it really is nice well I want to tell you guys about uh, a game that's on my playlist um Nick I don't if I don't know if you've heard about this game but I am 100% certain that you would love it oh really uh, okay yes uh, knowing what I know about you I I'm Pretty, fairly confident in saying that it's called Opus Magnum, and it is on Steam. And uh, it's oh, kind of yeah, my yeah, new yeah, jam. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know about this game? Uh, well, yeah, I forgot this was Zachtronics' new game. Yes, um, uh, see, I oh, never yeah. played any Zachtronics games before. Oh, this, I guess oh man, okay, is their yeah. third one, and it's the first one I've played. And I just, I feel like I've just come home. <laughs> I love it, uh, and it's not really like anything. I mean, I guess it's a little bit like. Um, what was that game? Incredible Machine or in what is that game called back in the day? Anyway, let me tell you what Opus Magnum is. If you if you're listening and you've never heard of this game, it is you play as an alchemist, like an old sort of steampunky alchemist, and you're tasked with you you graduate from alchemy college and you are tasked with turning items into other items for your patrons or for you know for your uh, people paying for you uh, and. The way you do that is you create these machines that are sort of Rube Goldberg machines, but more industrial than that, and not a, a lot less whimsical than than that might imply. They have arms and pistons and gears, and they can pick things up and drop them in places. And you're basically presented with this big hexagonal grid 
where you can place any of those pieces together and you create these interlocking mechanisms that pick up items, move them over here, set them down, turn them into something else, move them over here. It looks like you're playing a garage band track. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's actually the way you do that is you basically operate a programming language to give instructions to all of the individual pieces of your machine. And the way you do that is like you said, it looks like a garage band track or like you're working in final cut pro or something. It looks very dry. And I guess in a way it is, but I find it fascinating and fun. Basically the idea here is it's a puzzle, but it is a completely open-ended puzzle in the sense that there is not one solution. There's probably infinite solutions mm -hmm. and you are just tasked with finding one and trying to be as efficient as you can in finding it. But it kind of doesn't matter if you're efficient or not. It's just fun figuring out how to make it all work. And you literally like program each individual bit. So if you have an arm, like a little mechanical arm that you need to grab and pick up like lead and turn it into gold, for example, which is one of the very early quests, you, you maybe need to extend that arm, turn it 90 degrees, grab something, retract it, move it down, drop that thing into a, a transmogrifier that changes it to a different property, then have another arm, pick up something else. And you're literally programming each step of that process and then trying to see if it works. Like you push play on the thing and it has your machine work. And you're not trying to do that just once. You're trying to create a machine that can do that infinity times. It's a machine that just always works. And the coolest thing about this game is when your machine works, you need to do it like six or eight times in order for it to give you the thumbs up that you passed that mission. And so what it'll do, it'll start working. And as it doesn't run into any issues or problems, and as it is successful, it starts going faster and faster and faster. And I'm telling you, that is like the most satisfying thing for me. As somebody who loves watching documentaries, like how it's made and, you know, all these, where they just show you the inner workings of a, a machine shop or a, a factory, you know, they're just, you watch a machine do a, a intricate thing. That is the same pleasure center that is activated with opus magnum and i am so in love with this game i have spent many hours into the wee night like creating these little machines that do this little thing and then turning them on and watching them go it is a blast that's awesome that sounds great um i was curious about it because uh so so zach has a really interesting history he's a really nice guy brilliant guy i, I worked with him a bit uh, helping bring uh, infinifactory to ps4 so uh you know one of his first one of his older games infiniminer is actually one of the games that inspired minecraft um and then he made sort of a spiritual su successor infinifactory later uh but the game i played the most of his was space chem which was a game from uh -huh. i don't know five-ish years ago uh that i think i played on on ipad mostly and um sort of high level a little bit similar where you're sort of you have like a chemistry lab and you're you're sort of building things in this open-ended way to finish puzzles um and then maybe two years ago he released shenzhen io on steam which was also a huge hit that i mostly saw uh, other game developers talking about and that one seemed to be a little more dense where i feel like you maybe needed an actual like you know uh, have the right head on your shoulders for like understanding a programming language to actually sort of access it and maybe i'm wrong about that but it, it felt sort of inaccessible conceptually but hearing you 
you talk about this confirms for me that that's not the case with this. And this is something where maybe you have to have an inclination for this sort of thing, but that, that anyone can probably hop in there and mess around and start in, you know, enjoying the way everything fits together and, and get into it, um, yeah. which is, which is great to see. And he has, yeah, I think that sort of uh, theme of like, building and really smart open-ended puzzles like that's the thread through all of his games and he's done a lot of great stuff but this seems like a you know i'm sure it's bringing all that lineage and and you know sort of doing the best version of it yet is what it sounds like so I'll, i'm definitely gonna check this out yeah i think you would love it um I, i'm glad you i had no idea about so much of his history and I had read, though, that people were saying, yeah, Opus Magnum is kind of the most accessible game right. he's done yet, and which made me feel confident that I could jump in and, and and play it. And I think anybody listening, it is a little daunting. I think the tutorial is excellent. It kind of steps you through doing each of the things uh, and, and to get the, the hang of each of the pieces. Um, but it is it is a game where each level, each new mission you start is like, you have this, you need to make this. And you have a blank canvas and then it's just go, just make it. And so it is, it can be a little intimidating in that sense of like, where do I even start? But then you start, you know, dropping stuff in and fiddling around and pretty soon you've got this cool thing that you can step through a few steps and you're like, okay, well now I need to get it over here and do all this stuff. And there's so much freedom in how you can construct these machines and so much joy in watching them work. The other thing that I love about this game is that, there is a story that's being told and it is so fun the way it's written because you – I haven't gotten you know super far into it but there's a dialogue that happens and you start as this cocky kind of a-hole uh, you know, prime student who just thinks he, he's God's gift to alchemy and – He's kind of, you know, talking about through the tutorial, you're like, yeah, yeah, I already know. I get it. I get it. I get it to the teacher. And then you graduate from alchemy school and you go out into the world and you start taking these jobs. And he keeps like talking smack about all the jobs that he's taken, about how lame it is that people need him to do this. And he kind of generates this relationship with this female uh, uh, alchemist. And I just love the interplay. It really makes the game not just about the pure mechanics, which are a joy as well, but it, it really is a fun story that you're experiencing as well. It's wry and silly and, and, and kind of doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I mean, if you, once you, I don't know if you're going to burn out on it at some point, but if you want a taste of sort of one of the places where it came from, check out Space Cam again, because you can play it on iPad or something really casually. Um, yeah. So I think, I think you'd like that as well. And it pro- probably is different enough. But yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. I, I wish it was something uh, on something uh, beyond just a PC. Cause like I, I said, agree. I, I, I keep thinking, oh man, this game would be so awesome on iPad. So maybe I'll have to check out Space Cam as well. I'll, I'll download that. I didn't even know about it. Um, but again, that, that's called Opus Magnum, and I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention from your playlist, Nick? Last one um, that I've been playing, which actually came out at the end of 2016. So again, I've been going back a bit recently, but I guess that's sort of what you do in the you know over the holidays and New Year. But um, is a uh, small radios, big televisions. This is a game yeah. from uh, a dev named Owen Deary, uh, known as Fireface, and it was published by Adult Swim, I believe. Um, I don't know if you guys ever played any of this. It's uh, sort of a niche game, but um, I'm finding it super compelling. And uh, I worked with him a bit at the time to bring it to PS4, but I never like went through beyond the first couple worlds. Uh, and I think the easiest point of comparison is Fez, uh, except just in the way that the game is structured and sort of moving between these um, different worlds that sort of loop back on each other in interesting ways. Uh, but you're playing in this sort of weird, this, this is what I'm getting from it so far. You're playing in this weird sort of 
post-apocalyptic world and you are just like a cursor in the world. You're, you're not a character or a presence or anything. You're just sort of moving around and working your way through these sort of abandoned factories and you're finding these uh, cassette tapes throughout Um and you can play these cassette tapes in this uh, cassette player that's sort of like like a VR, basically, where it's like hooked into you. Um, and you play these cassette tapes and you get transported into these worlds that are just really like uh, just uh, just beautiful and have weird sort of like very glitchy effects and great music and everything. Very sort of synesthetically pleasing. Um, and in these worlds, you have to sort of um, find little hidden, uh, these little hidden sort of globe things that then you pr- you bring back into the real world that allow you to get through new doors. And you can take the tapes you have and you can put them in these weird big like uh, tape scrubbing machines that sort of mess with them. And then you can go back into the world and see how it's changed. Um, and it's just this weird sort of, uh, you know, puzzle game, exploration puzzle game that loops back on itself, like I said, um, and just has a great aesthetic uh, and just feels really like one. I mean, I think it really is Owen's like vision and I think he did most of the work on it. And it really feels like that of someone's um, just cool, weird idea they've had for a long time that, that he's realizing. Um, and so I'm a few worlds in and it's just, it's just great. It's um, really satisfying, uh, you know, really satisfying puzzles uh, looks awesome. And yeah, if you like Fez or, you know, John Blow's stuff or anything in that realm, I think you would get into it. And it's not quite as esoteric or uh, as challenging as those even. Um, but I'd say just like, uh, you know, accessible um, in a different way. But yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I played through it. Oh, and, you did? Nice. Uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's got some really clever, some trippy puzzles, some things that you don't even realize there's a clue. And then it's a clue. You know, it's it's uh, it's a pretty clever a uh, very different kind of game. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's nice. I'm so glad you played it. Cause I feel like not a lot of people uh, didn't. That's a shame, but yeah. Um, yeah, very cool. Awesome. Uh, all right. Uh, we got lots more show coming up, but I do want to thank our second sponsor, which is, I don't like to play favorites guys, but it's my favorite sponsor. It's blue apron. Uh, I love blue apron. I begged blue apron to, sponsor our show and i'm so glad that they're back in 2018 because i love them i i talk about them like every everywhere i go at parties this holiday season i was like hey you guys do blue apron because it has changed my life it's made me into somebody that actually enjoys cooking what is blue apron blue apron is a convenient food delivery service that delivers fresh ingredients to your door with awesome recipes that you can make in a very short amount of time. Under 45 minutes, you can have a fresh home-cooked meal that has variety and uses great ingredients and feels like something you might get at a restaurant. I, I truly, my wife and I so often, we love Blue Apron. My wife and I, we've been doing it for, I don't know, three or four years now. We by the way, in that whole time, never had a – well, I think maybe once we've had a repeat recipe. That's amazing. Uh, so it adds so much variety to our dining and we're constantly turning to each other and going, you know what? If I bought this in a restaurant and paid you know 20 or $30 for it, I would think it was an amazing restaurant. And yet we made it and each of these meals comes out to like 10 bucks per person per meal. It's economical. It tastes great and it made me fall in love with cooking. I just – I love – that I love it. I love that I can now chop things and I know what goes together and I'm learning all these cool life skills and I feel like I'm making food for my loved ones. And there's something wonderful about that. We're eating healthier. We know what goes in our food. There's really so many reasons to love Blue Apron and why not give it a shot? We will give you a $30 
value. We're going to treat you to your first dinner, a $30 value. When you visit, visit blueapron.com slash DLC, we will hook you up and check it out. You'll get uh, $30 off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash DLC. That's B-L-U-E-A-P-R-O-N.com slash DLC. Why not make a New Year's resolution, learn how to cook, eat better, have more variety in your life. It's great. Blueapron.com slash DLC. Get you $30 off. So we got to talk about VR. Nick used to work at Oculus, and I know you are uh, a VR aficionado. Uh, so uh, what have you been playing in uh, inside the goggles? Well, I, sh- I should give you my <laughs> – I feel like I'm apologizing a lot this show. I should, I, I should give you my big caveat uh, is that since I left Oculus a few months ago, I have not had a, uh, a gaming PC at home since I had to give mine back. Um, so I haven't been playing uh, like Rift or Vive stuff uh, recently. But I'm, I'm, I was an aficionado. Maybe I still am in some sense. Uh, but anyway, thankfully, I've had access to PSVR still. Um, so I went back and uh, sort of caught up and finished some things I've been meaning to um one and this is another theme of like again when you work on games a lot sometimes you never sort of finish the final versions when they come out because you've spent so much time playing them over the years in different forms uh but nog um by co-op mode published by double fine um I, I don't know if you guys played right through it on any in any form. It's been out on a bunch of platforms now. Uh, just super great. I finally went and wrapped that up in VR. And I think especially in VR, it really brings out the great feel of it as this like, uh, you know, cool alien toy box and just really fun poking around at things and being in that world. And, uh, you know, it's it's not like the, the most VR game in, in some ways, um, but even just the sort of set dressing of putting the like, building the backgrounds of the worlds you're in, you're sort of interacting with these big uh, monster heads and solving puzzles in them. Um, But the way that they just sort of like pull the textures and animation and everything beautiful in the game around you and set you in this nice space to play with things is really great. And uh, I just found it to actually be a really great, like chill VR game to play through that way. Yeah. I I really liked it as well, especially in VR. It, it, it does feel the fact that it is sort of about, touching knobs and tw- twisting wires and this very tactile mm-hmm. experience having that be in three dimensions sitting in front of you is is really fun i just wish that it supported the move controller so i could re- reach out and yeah. touch things not just use it with the controller. I also want to go back now and play it um, since I got an iPhone 10 recently. Uh, you can play it in like AR and just have it sort of hovering on the table in front of oh, you really? and poke at it. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> which someone was showing me and looked awesome. So I'll probably play it again there. Um, and then the other game I played, which I've been uh, really excited about for years and just uh, it came out a couple months ago and uh, took me a little bit to catch up to it, uh, is Megaton Rainfall. Mm-hmm. And this is made... Uh, have, you, have you played this yet? I have. I... I... I'm not a fan. <laughs> a little bit disappointed by it. Okay. Yeah, but go ahead. Uh, well, it's a, it's this incredibly ambitious thing by like this one dude. I believe he's in in Spain um, and worked on it for several years. And I just remember seeing the trailer a few years ago and thinking how amazing it looked that you could fly from like up in space to down onto the Earth uh, and be like fighting weird alien walking things that looked like they're from more of the worlds. Um, and I'm a big Earth Defense Force fan, huge fan of the mm-hmm. franchise, and this really channeled a lot of that um, to me and. 
Um, it's a game that's like, you know, it does feel rough around the edges uh, presentation-wise, I think. And it is one that's like not for the faint of stomach either, especially if you're playing with some of the comfort modes off. Um, but I think for me, it, it really did deliver on that feeling of being able to sort of like blast down and fly across the earth and into a city and uh, have these really cool interactions flying through the buildings and like blasting these these different alien forms that show up. Um, and the whole sort of setting and context for it isn't the most interesting and sort of throwaway. But uh, I just found that... Um, um, those interactions to be really cool. And I, we talked about dreams a bit earlier. I've had so many dreams over the years of sort of uh, being around when like aliens invade and big weird robots <laughs> coming. And uh, like I said, sort of War of the World stuff or Godzilla stuff. And so that, that um, for me, this really felt like being in some of those dreams for the first time, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, what was, so what was your experience with it? I really do agree with you that the sensation of flying is awesome in it. And it does feel that, that freedom of going as high as you want or as low as you want and you, it does feel like you're a superhero and, and that is the coolest part i didn't enjoy the game of it sure. though i didn't enjoy the shooting i didn't enjoy that the the way it sort of meshed those two things together i just wanted to fly around and explore and right, i just right. kind of didn't didn't care for the game part yeah i think i mean for me i like yeah you're pretty much like blow these things up now go here and blow these things up um, yeah but i even like just being in that world and you can like fly down and land on the street level uh, and everything's sort of like uh like voxel based so it's a little bit abstracted but you see people running around and cars driving and i just like sort of like launching a blast in the middle of the street and seeing buildings explode very dynamically and just the impact you can have on this world is like really tactile and satisfying uh and looks really cool um so i like just existing there and like messing with the game a bit and you know i eventually sort of got back to more missions and i don't know how far i'll get through the campaign but uh it was one of those vr experiences that just just being in the world felt like a really new way to interact with something which i really appreciated Cool. So that's Megaton Rainfall and Nog, G-N-O-G, if you want to check those games out. Um, I, I don't know which – I feel like I don't have time to talk about all the VR stuff that I want to talk about, and there's so much good stuff. Um, also, well, I, saw you, I saw you tweeting about the uh, – was it the Star Wars experience? Yeah, I know. Christian was supposed to come to that, and he was sick, and he couldn't come. Oh, bummer. It makes me so sad. Let's talk, Okay, let's talk about that. I'll save these other ones for a future episode. Um so I did the the Star Wars Void experience. This is, if you're not familiar, the Void is this thing that's been around a couple of years now. It is location-specific VR where you go to a, a giant, almost like a movie theater that's playing a VR game. And, um, uh, and the structure itself, the space, is built custom for that experience. So – you put on these uh, this this VR rig and you walk through and you go through the story and everything that you do in the story, like let's say you need to reach out and touch something on the wall, there's a wall there for you to touch. There is a button on that wall. If you need to push a button inside the game or inside the experience, there's a switch on the wall and you need to push it. There's a physical switch for you to reach out and touch and grab and, and pull. So – and they're also doing stuff with like temperature and air they'll shoot at you and all kinds of extrasensory stuff to further sell the experience of being in this virtual world. I hadn't had a chance to do any of the void before. Like I said, they're location specific. You have to go to them. There weren't any near me, uh, but I had heard that they did a Ghostbusters one last year or the year before. And uh, man, I would, I've been anxious to try this. So there is this new Star Wars one that's called Secrets of the Empire that just opened at Disneyland Resort uh, in here in Southern California. And so we – months ago, Christian and I bought tickets. We're all excited and Christian went and 
uh, got sick and couldn't go today. So I feel bad even getting all excited about it. Because I just traced back the germs and I found out they came from you, Jeff. They came Coming from, from inside you. the headset. He had his own like hallucinatory PUBG experience. Don't worry. That's true. It's true. Better than any VRs. <laughs> Christian's <laughs> fever dreams. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to spoil anything. I think there's probably a very, very small percentage of people listening to this that even have the ability to go see these things but i still won't spoil some of the surprises in it specifically for christian who i think is should still get to see it um but i will tell you how i think amazing it is and part of what is so amazing about it is how well the experience itself comes together you go in uh, it's very Disney in the sense that they like show you a movie beforehand that sets up the story. And then you walk in, they like people like leading you in, you know, it's all very structured and cool. And you l- go into this room that has just this bank of backpacks and headsets that are hanging from hooks. And it looks like a scene out of aliens or something where the, you know, the space Marines suits are all there. Just what you want to see when you walk into a thing is uh suiting up like a soldier <laughs> in an alien film. But it's awesome, dude. You step into it like they're hanging on these cool rigs that you can just step into it and put your arms through and you're still attached. And then you cinch yourself in and it's like super awesome feeling that you cinch the backpack down and it feels really comfortable. The headsets are really comfortable. All of us remarked uh, – there were three other – or two other guys, three of us. Uh, all of us remarked at how comfortable it was and how cool the feeling of just stepping into it was. And I think that's not an easy thing to – Anybody that's used a Vive, you know, it, it's awkward. And the fact that they figured that out and made it seamless and slick I, already is a plus. Anyway, the experience itself, incredible. You you are uh, rebels. It's it's It takes place in the Rogue One story uh, sort of time period. And you're rebels and you need to infiltrate this Imperial base. So you're disguised as stormtroopers, which makes sense because you're wearing a helmet you know, and you look at your friends and they're stormtroopers and it has motion tracking on your hands. So you don't even have to hold anything. You're not holding any controllers, but it tracks your hands down to your fingers. Like you could hold up one, two, three, four fingers, wiggle them around and it all tracks. It was very impressive. Um, and you're, you know, you're on this spaceship, there's droids talking to you. They're all three. It looks great. Uh, the whole place rumbles when you're going through hyperspace, uh, you, you know, the door, door opens and you walk out of the spaceship and you can like put your hand on the door as you leave it and everything is where it's supposed to be. That little addition of, you know, reach your hand out and there's a railing in front of you. Yeah. There's really a railing in front of you. It does so much to sell the experience. And eventually you start, you know, you get a blaster when you walk into a room you literally walk up to a bank of blasters and pick one up and you're picking up a real physical object. And now it's tracking that object and you're shooting at stormtroopers with blasters. And there are tons of surprises that happen. It, it is well worth the money. I think it was like what, 40 bucks Christian. I think it was. Um, and it's only a, I don't know, 15, 20 minute experience tops, but one I would highly recommend because it, it is one of the coolest things I've ever done in VR let alone the fact that it's Star Wars, just set that aside and how awesome Star Wars is just being in such an immersive environment where you're feeling things and you're touching things and it, it, you're completely sold on being there. I, I highly recommend it. Is it, uh, so have you done ones like, like, um, location based stuff before like this? 
I have done a very small version of this. Uh, there was a company that's that's trying to sell these into malls. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very small scale. It's like a 10 by 10 little booth that you go into. And I thought that was really cool. But this was a whole other level of awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm curious because I've, I've, I've actually haven't done any of this despite working on a lot of home VR stuff uh, for multiple platforms. But um, I was curious how, how much of an adjustment period there is when you realize you can freely walk around, but that there are actual barriers in front of you. And like you said, a railing is a railing. And if it takes a while to get used to that, or if your brain just, uh, you know, is okay with it, lets you be comfortable with that. It, well, it didn't seem to be any barrier. I don't know. The, the experience is kind of structured in a really clever way, I think, because the very first part of it, you walk into a spaceship and the, the droid tells you to sit down. And so you sit down in the spaceship in on the bench of the spaceship. And so and it's rumbling like a space. I mean, you're. So you're sitting there and you're letting it all sink in and you're interacting with like that's where the chair was. And so I sat on it, you know, like that's where it was supposed to be. And I and I think they bring you into that experience in a very smart way. So you're already sold on the geometry being real. Right. So by the uh, time you're sort of moving in, in full 3d space, you just sort of take it for granted that it's there once you've yeah. interacted with it in some basic form. Yeah. I mean, we were squealing like little schoolgirls, you know, at, 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 at things we were, you know, I would, we would walk through a door and I'd be like, guys, put your hand on the door. You know, you, you could like touch it. And there's a, <laughs> there are moments where, you know, there's like a puzzle. There's like a, like a assignment puzzle where you have to do what he says and you're literally pushing actual buttons on the wall and you pull a lever and all of that stuff is just so rad to sell the idea that you're in this space. Um, and there were a few glitches, but over, really nothing that detracted from the overall experience. I like the idea of like thinking of you guys walking around the space and just like, you know, yelling to each other and being all excited. And then let's see what the actual space looks like. I'm picturing it as like a really busted, like, you know, like, Two by four is hammered awkwardly into the wall and just like really simple, like budget setting, but totally. it feels amazing in VR. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> we what said I assume. what they should do. We, we were commenting this on, as we left. Uh, what they should do is sell you a video of you and your idiot friends screaming <laughs> at nothing because it's like you could have because inside the experience, there's explosions and people shouting and we're like, you know, yelling and stuff and just cut to outside where it's completely silent and just a couple of morons going, look, look at that. <laughs> up there. You know? uh, yeah. They just record you and they all watch it later and laugh at the end of the day when everyone goes home. I was like, man, I, I'd pay, you know, pretty penny to, to have that video of, of me and my idiot friends, like being really quiet, pulling the triggers of things and then <laughs> exclaiming. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, it's called uh, Secrets of the Empire. I believe there's one in each of the Disney resorts, uh, the Florida and the L.A. Um, so you have to be in Disney in the first place. You can't go to it as like a separate thing. No, no, no. It's It was outside the confines of the park. It was oh, okay. uh, we didn't have to buy a ticket to the park to, to do it. Cool. I'm um, going to try that next time I'm down there. Sounds great. Yeah, I think they're opening a couple of other locations, but I'm not sure where those are. Is it is it the sort of thing you could do again or is it more just like linear and scripted where it wouldn't be as cool the second time? Well, I think. It's both. Like I, I really want to do it again, but yeah, it's very linear and scripted. Okay. Uh, but it, you know, so is Star Tours or whatever ride. You know, all the rides are. Um, but the cool thing is, it's all branded as the Void. So I would assume that at a certain point they're going to swap it out and put in a different experience there because it's, it, you know, they could just hot swap. It's not branded as the Star Wars Void. It's like now here's a Void location and whatever new experience we put in, I assume will will go there. I would, I would, I would think of it more like, you know, this month we're showing the Ghostbusters one and like, oh yeah, I want to go down and do that one. So I'm hoping that's what it is. Hmm. 
Now I'm picturing like a like a Shawshank Redemption one where you have to like crawl through poop out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> I do it, man. I do. Yeah. It. <laughs> and then um, you get to like yell into the sky while the camera pulls back and rain's coming. <laughs> I want to go to Mexico or whatever. <laughs> Say uh, <laughs> it's right um all right christian you can you know take a break you're not feeling well um nick and i now are gonna indulge in vr is problematic when you're sick by the way indeed indeed but uh, we're gonna go even farther uh, afield of of spicer town and talk a little tabletop time tabletop time One of the reasons I'm so excited for Nick to be with us is uh, he shares a love of tabletop games. Um, you and I have played together uh, on on the table at PAX. I had a great time. That's true. Um, That's fun. What, what stuff have you been playing lately? I've been playing a lot. Uh, New Year's Day was um, going over to my friend Dan Shu's place, uh, Dan Shu of EGM and PlayStation and other places. And yeah. he, he owns a lot of board games, like multiple hundreds. I don't know if he'd want me to, <laughs> want me to say, but uh, basically every game. Um, and uh, New Year's, which I've done for probably three of the last four years, is, is at his place just playing games all day. And I mean, I do that regularly with him throughout the year, but especially on New Year's, I played a bunch. And then the day after as well, I played uh, with Tim Schaefer and some other friends. Um, some more games so especially the first couple days of the year were like full of games um on new year's i played the thing infection at outpost 31 Mm. um, which is the mondo produced mondo mondo of like awesome sort of movie posters and merch fame and they do really cool stylish stuff so they produced the board game so it looks fantastic all the packaging and sort of presentation of everything is great uh based on the thing movie uh from 1982 i think um which i just saw at the alma draft house here uh, a couple months ago um they had a screening and i hadn't seen it in a while and first of all the thing is an awesome movie um really disturbing crazy like practical special effects body horror it's like pretty rough to watch but it's it's awesome it totally um, holds up yeah no in a in an amazing way yeah um and uh so the movie was fresh in my mind which is great and so the game i actually didn't play i just sort of taught it and hosted it because there was a lot of us there but we played a full eight player crew and i'm actually going to play it later this week with some friends um as well again because we just sort of got a taste of it but seems really cool it's um you know it's sort of a hidden role a little bit social manipulation game but more in the secret hitler vein if you've played that than just the werewolves vein Hmm. um so it's less about just social manipulation and sort of lying and trying to hide your identity. It's more about uh, sort of using your your cards and things to manipulate what's happening. Because basically every turn, so you're all sort of hanging out in the rec room uh, and you can be different characters from the movie. There's like 20 different ones and all of them have little action figures, which is cool, uh, and um, or little miniatures. And so on your turn, uh, you get to be the captain and you draw a mission card and then you have to go to uh, another location, like let's go to the kitchen and you have to choose a few people to bring with you and one of them has to be like a scientist because people have different roles so you sort of have have some restrictions about who you bring with you and then on that mission uh you sort of all have cards in an inventory and people have to sort of essentially use their cards to vote if you're going to succeed or not um again sort of like secret hitler if you've played that but they're basically giving you items that will maybe screw up your mission or help you and they can like promise to give you an item that's going to help you and then give you something else um and then the captain mixes them up anonymously and has to see sort of what's been contributed and but maybe the captain is an imitation and not a human because basically the game starts and one out of eight people is an imitation. And then throughout the game, there's a couple other in- 
instances where more imitations can spread and there can be like three imitations uh, amongst eight players. And so you're sort of trying to subtly blend in and like play your cards at the right time. There's a few interesting game mechanics that let you uh, sort of just hide amongst everyone else. And it's cool because the uh, the humans, just like the movie, are just trying to sort of survive and then get to this helicopter at the end once they've sort of checked over the whole base and fought enough things. And, and you're also fighting like, um, like NPC thing, like imitation creatures that pop up and then you have to fight with them, um, not just the other players. Uh, so you're just trying to get to the helicopter and get off the base. And the, the imitations can win in a few different ways, um, including just like destroying a bunch of the base because like um, sometimes you'll draw a card and smoke will start in the room. And if you don't go use a fire extinguisher to take care of the smoke, it turns into fire. If you don't take care of the fire, it destroys the room. And if enough room gets destroyed, then the base is destroyed and the imitations win. Um, or they can win by the infection just spreading wide enough. Or they can win by um, smuggling an imitation into the helicopter at the very end when they leave, which seems <laughs> like it would be the coolest, most dramatic sort of ending. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So it's yeah, just a setup really well. Um, it seems really cool. Again, I didn't play this first match. I just sort of like taught it and hosted it. I'm looking forward to playing it again this week. But I feel like you could have some really fun games, especially with a full crew of eight people like that. Kind of reminds me a little of Dead of Winter when you have a um, a uh, trader in that game. It's the same kind of like we're all contributing food for the greater good. Oh, I have right. a secret goal that I don't want to help with. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I actually haven't played that shamefully. I know it's a, a pretty popular one, but um, but yeah, no, I forgot that has some of the mechanic too. Yeah, it, it works really well and it's perfect for this movie. And like you said, it's sort of such a, like the movie holds up really well, so it, it feels like something that was ripe for a great game like this. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, Are the, I love the the miniatures. It's, you know, what a what a IP for awesome miniatures, you know, with like tentacled gross stuff going on yeah you got your little kurt russell guy and you have your tentacled like uh you know head with the spider legs growing out of it <laughs> yeah that's um uh, I, I got a whole bunch but i guess the other one too that's that's very fresh on my mind that i it might have been my favorite new game i played uh last year after playing it several times now uh which is called time barons um and this is a game that's co-designed by derek Yu, who made splunky uh which is one of my favorite video games ever um and so i think i was a little biased uh towards um this like i was excited to play it um but it is just really excellent it's uh, a really intense sort of uh like a war game where you're just fighting other players across different time periods. And um, the default is just as like a head to head two player game. And then you can play four player, either teams or free for all, which is sort of the craziest mode to play. But that's actually the one I've been playing the most of. Um, And you're just sort of like, uh, drawing and constructing little bases in front of you and moving little follower tokens back and forth. Um, and then you're upgrading which uh, draw pile you can draw from across different time periods. So you start with fighting other players with catapults and building churches, and then you upgrade and suddenly you have rifles, and then you upgrade and you have sort of modern day weapons. And then eventually, if you upgrade far enough, you can draw and do like DNA warfare from the future. Um and it's just a really sort of like it's interesting, too. And I, I don't know how uh, it's probably easy to try to compare it to Splunky. But in, in a way, it does feel similar where um, Derek and the other designer just built this really smart ecosystem of cards that almost anything you throw into it just like works well and is interesting. Um, and it's just like it all fits together really well. And actually, the it's a weird thing to call out, but the instructions are actually really great because there's a lot going on in the game. But uh, after reading the instruction booklet, I like knew perfectly start to finish how to play which I really appreciate with games when you read a lot of games and have a lot of weird rules question. And this one's I had no question, just went straight into it and had a great time. Um, and so it's just this game where you're sort of constantly trying to like 
build new bases and get new abilities and keep your followers alive, but you're also under bombardment and constantly being killed from other players, or having your things blown up from other players, and you're sort of can never quite do what you want to do and things don't stick around long enough, so it feels really like tense in that way. Um, but it's just really great. It's just this great sort of like, like I said, an ecosystem of things that just fit together really well. Um, and it comes with a whole bunch of different cards that you can play different arrangements with. It has like the starter deck and an expansion deck. And for four players, you sort of take different cards from both of them, but you can also just build your own deck. So it's just this very flexible thing too. So Time Baron's highly recommended. I think there's a printed play version that might even be free, which is how it started a couple of years ago, but then it got a full release from WizKids uh, a couple months ago, or maybe just like two months ago. And it's, it's super good. Yeah, it looks awesome. I love the art. It's uh, such a cool art. Yeah, style. Derek also did the art, so it looks like if you if you picture sort of like spunky, uh, you know, cartoonish, yeah. stylish stuff, it looks like that. Awesome. Uh, Time Baron, so cool. Um, you're gonna have to come back soon because we got lots of other games on here that I want to uh, talk about. Uh, I I got my copy of Illimat as well and haven't had a chance to play it. Did you, it, was it good? Did you like it? Uh, it's it's yeah, it's interesting. So this is a game that um, is sort of sort of from the game the December or sort of from the band the Decemberists. Mm-hmm. Um, they used a photo of this sort of like fictional board game in a promotional photo years ago, and then basically ended up turning it into a real photo by or a real game by the designer that did Gloom and some other games. Um, and it's it's cool. It sort of feels a little like tarot cardy in its presentation, um, but feels more like a traditional card game. A little bit moving between seasons and playing cards, and there's a few different ways to to uh, you know to be victorious. Um, it's a little rough around the edges, like it feels a little prototypey, I think. But it's a really beautiful game, and the board, the box it comes in, is like a central component of the board. So the presentation's really nice, um, and it feels pretty cool and different. I'll probably end up picking it up, um, even if it's a little bit rough. But it's it's interesting for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm such a big fan of the Decemberists that I bought it just like. Uh, oh, nice. And, so I, like, and I, I kickstarted it and I, and it just got here uh, not too long ago. So I'm, I'm anxious to get it on. And the of table. course you got to put on some Decemberist jams while you're playing too. For oh the, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, uh, totally. Um, Christian, you, it looks like you had a tabletop game on your list. Uh, tabletop for toddlers is back. <laughs> it's back baby. Uh, for Christmas, my girls got uh, character charades which is, or picture charades, sorry, picture charades. So it's just pictures. You don't have to be able to read or anything like that. So I'm playing with my five-year-old and two-and-a-half-year-old. And, a half year old. and um, I think it's actually pretty smart the way the game is designed. As you read the instructions, it says, you know, like, one person goes up and they take the – there's a little spinner and it's like inside, outside – animal person or something like that are the four stacks of cards so you do your spinner it ends on one of those four things that are also color coded so if you can't read it you can see that the picture of like a house a tree a person silhouette or an animal silhouette and then you you pick your card look at it and there's a picture and then like charades you have to act it out but the directions of the game say uh, whoever is acting out the card it's up to them if you got it right so like if you're playing with a little kid basically and the kid turns it over. So it's it's it designed to have the kid not need help, which I not need help, which I think is pretty empowering. Where like so, you know, my daughter takes it over, looks at it and let's say it's um a police officer or whatever, right? So she looks at that picture and then puts the card down and acts out a thing and maybe my wife or I or someone guesses like a soldier. Uh Estelle could say, "Yes, that's right. It's a soldier." And it is because that's how the game proceeds, right? So it's, it's not trying to get hung up on, actually, it's a police officer. It's just when the kid acting out the thing decides that you've guessed it, you get to move on. And I thought it was smart to have that in the rule book for a game designed for kids to let the parents know that just relax, you're having fun. <laughs> just, just you're raising a little cheater. 
Right, right, right. No, <laughs> not a cheater. You're raising someone who uh, bends the rules to their liking, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's fun. It's really cute. And it's just anytime you get to have like preschool set, you know, acting and, and marching around and acting out things is fun. And right now my girls, for pretty much every clue, they want to work together. And it always involves my oldest laying down on her stomach on the ground. And then my two and a half year old, like sitting on her back, like a piggyback ride, basically. And somehow that's everything. It, it, that could be a police oh. officer, a shovel. They always. That's awesome. Really fun. Well, Christian, when they get a little older, you need to pick up a copy of reverse charades. Have you ever heard of reverse charades? No. Revert. So charades is one person giving a clue and a bunch of people guessing. Reverse charades is one person guessing and a bunch of people giving the clue. And it's a blast. It is ridiculous because it requires, without using any words, it requires a bunch of idiots to figure out how to create a tableau or some sort of image or do convey the thing together, but without verbally communicating with each other. So you get a clue and you and, you know, four or five other people, however many people you're playing with have to then sort of create some sort of visual image, just like your daughters are instinctively doing. Um, and then the one person has to guess what the heck they're looking at. Uh, and it's ridiculous fun. So is that just called reverse charades? I believe so. I believe that. You wow. That sounds it. great. Charades. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, so I've been playing a bunch of tabletop time stuff as well. Uh, but the game I need to talk about that I've been dying to talk about is Gloomhaven. I'm dying to hear about this. Yeah, I've just scratched the surface, right? This is one of those big, deep, crazy uh, legacy style games that changes over time as you play it. It's meant to be played dozens and dozens of times. And I'm so I'm just at the beginning of that journey, but I can already tell it's incredible. Uh, this was a big Kickstarter game. I kickstarted it. So full disclosure, uh, I paid way too much for it, but I did. Um, it is the biggest box I have for a, a board game. It is Show an enormous the box. Show the box. <laughs> I did. You can look on my Instagram. I, I did a, a picture of it when it arrived, and it's like it's it, enormous. It could it could kill a person if it fell from a <laughs> thing. Um, and that it's chock full of. Uh, stuff. I mean, it's actually it's a, it's a hundred dollar game. It probably you get uh, you know you feel like it's worth that. I spent another actually, much cheaper than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It you'd think it was more, and I spent another hundred dollars on an organizer that I built for it. Um, so yeah, I'm like two hundred dollars into this experience, which is not something I want to tell my wife. But um, it is it is basically Dungeons and Dragons in a box. Um, but I think even more interesting than Dungeons and Dragons because it's kind of its own universe. And you have this big uh, board that is all the locations, this big map, Tolkien-esque hand-drawn map. And you will eventually add stickers to places that you discover on that map. You don't even really play on that board. That board is just a map to, to sort of scout out where you want to go, what quests you've done, how you how you and your team members have experienced this world. But most of the game takes place on a modular series of tiles that you put together to create these different locations. There's hundreds of different quests and locations for you to discover. And you have miniatures. Uh, there is a small grouping of classes that you can choose from at the beginning, but many more classes that are available in the box that will unlock over time. So what will happen is you'll have this character. That character will experience things, get experience points, level up, and eventually get to the point where it forces you to retire. 
that character because you have either accomplished its overall goal or done certain things that force you into retirement. And then that retirement unlocks new classes that you previously weren't able to even select. And you can start a new character, continue on, and your old character becomes an NPC that you then interact with in the game. Don't ask me how they do that. I have not played enough to know, but it's it's amazing. So the majority of this game is combat. Um, and the combat, I think, is really cleverly executed. It is all card-based. There's no dice rolling. It's all card-based. And you on your turn, you have a deck of cards that constitute your abilities. And you'll as you level up, you'll add new cards into that deck. Uh, and every class's deck is different. And what you'll do is... On your turn, you'll select two cards from your hand, and each card is is bisected into a top half and a bottom half. And there's a, a different skill on each of the top and bottom half. And you select two cards on your turn, and one card you have to do the top half, and the and another card you have to do the bottom half. So it doesn't matter which is which, but you have to select the top from one and the bottom from another, which creates this really interesting dynamic of selecting your cards because there's all these different combinations in your hand of things that you can accomplish and they all feel really powerful and awesome and that combat system i think is really clever every piece of this game feels so well thought out and well put together the way the enemies all move and interact like they all have little sleeves and cards for the enemies that keep track of them in really smart ways keep track of what damage has been done to the enemies how they move it's all so clear and so uh, not fiddly i mean the game it has tons of parts and it's a, a beast to bring places or set up but as you're playing it it's slick it moves quickly it's eventful. It feels almost like a strategy game in how you have to take down these encounters because you are really strategizing what you can do, what your teammates can do and how your powers combine and what you have to do to accomplish stuff. I am so impressed with Gloomhaven and I want to play it hundreds of more times. Um, it's one of those very daunting games because there's so much in the box. There's so much story to encounter. Uh, and I'm really only scratching the surface so far. And is, is it like other legacy games where you have to play it with the same, or ideally you'd play it with the same group from start to finish? Ideally, I think yes. But it, it really makes it uh, jump in, jump out friendly because there are all these classes in the box that you haven't tried. So if a friend is over, they can either pick up um, you know, a new class and jump in or they can you know play somebody who's not present that time uh it's pretty i think friendly on in that way because each mission that you're on is sort of self-contained even though it has tendrils that reach out into the wider story you can sort of just jump in and do one mission with your buddies because you're there that night uh i think it, i think that actually works pretty well cool yeah it sound, sounds awesome i mean I, i've seen i know a couple of friends who've bought it and are sort of sitting out and haven't started yet because it is an intimidating thing to play and you gotta have the right group like you're saying there's sort of a lot to, to getting started but it, it looks great and I, the couple of impressions i've heard so far have been super positive so yeah again that's called Gloomhaven. um i don't think you can buy it in stores i think it's only a kickstarter uh as of right now so um right yeah maybe not not for long hopefully right um, one other one I noticed on your list is Weird Words, which I played a bunch on Thanksgiving and was super great. It's uh, so great. It's such a crowd pleaser. It's like that. It's exactly the same thing. It's the one I brought to all of my holiday uh, encounters this year because it was like easy to bring out with family and friends. It's it's so good. It's so good. So the, yeah, the the high level on it is like. Uh, 
there you basically download an, an accompanying app and that app gives you uh, a clue gives the the sort of host um like a 20 question style clue and then every well everyone else has to ask questions except there's two werewolves and they know what the word is so they're trying to throw you off the trail that's the sort of high level right. um and it, it's really hilarious and i actually really enjoyed a lot more than like i don't really like werewolf much like the sort of pure social manipulation stuff i i didn't i don't really get into but i like the sort of um inherent comedy and people trying to throw you off the trail of guessing or when like one of the werewolves is the the whatever it is Answer. the mayor or whatever yeah yeah which is really funny too the one thing i wanted to call out to you though in case you didn't notice because i feel like it was very easy to miss is in the app there's actually like a user generated lists uh word lists feature oh really that you can dig into and find uh which i really enjoy in games like this because a it just means there's more content but b there's some really funny specific stuff where like uh there, there's there's a couple hundred of them i think on there um and uh what i like about it is there's one that is like obviously like a bunch of surgeon friends creating lists for each other <laughs> because every word is like the aortic pulmonary blah blah blah, blah. Oh, no. so it's all these very specific like heart valves which i just love the idea of anyone who isn't that group of people trying to play um <laughs> And so That's it's amazing. worth scrolling through and there's lists of like Dragon Ball Z and just everything. Um, so definitely, even if you're not going to play it, just like open the app and flip through them because it's some really funny stuff. I wish I had known that because um, we literally played over the holiday with my sister-in-law who is doing her residency right now. And I would have loved to just like oh, spring that on her. That would have been so funny. Yeah, it's perfect. I actually used to do that with a friend of mine. We'd play Buzz, the old like, uh, you know, PS2, PS3, um, like quiz show game. And one of the versions of Buzz, I think, was course world had the same thing where it had like ugc essentially and so we were just like we would there was one where it's like it's just an inside joke amongst the family so there was a quizzes on like different personalities of their different cats so it'd be like what cat is most likely to do this and so you just you have no information but you're sort of like learning about the cats as you're going and it's just like hilarious how how obtuse it is for someone who like isn't literally in their family yeah i love (laughs) i I love social deduction games in general i love uh werewolf and the resistance and all those games but the the thing that i think werewords does so well is a lot of those games it's like okay and we're playing okay does anybody want to talk or anything right right giving you something to do while you're socially deducting you know is uh deducing is is i think great because it even welcomes new players in oftentimes if you start a game like that and they're like well what am i supposed to do right now it's like oh free conversation whatever you yeah, want yeah yeah you know? and, and there's like a timer counting down so you sort of understand the the yeah. timing and the stakes and everything so yeah uh, it's a it's a great one uh bezier games and i think it's pretty cheap too you can get where words the art of it, it the art on it is like just the worst like i think most game most board game art is like ranges from like bad to terrible um and this is like maybe the worst of any game i've seen which usually means i like can't even remember myself to play it like i get very very offended by these things but this is one where truly like struggle past the terrible art because it's it's a really fun game well you're also barely ever looking at the art too so but just man even like looking at the box i'm like this person (laughs) has never like seen any other like depiction of a werewolf (laughs) that's awesome um one other one too i just want to call out sorry i know we're talking a lot about tabletop games um which you and i played at pax i believe we played together is spy fight yes i was gonna say is that the game we played together yeah it was so fun so this is there's this designer Charlie Silver who met up with us at PAX and sort of showed it to us and we played a bunch and it's it's just this really fun game of like spies battling back and forth that takes like literally two minutes to teach. Uh, it's just like a deck of cards and you draw cards in your turn and you have attacks or traps that you lay or defensive cards and you just choose a card and flip it. It's like the one two three flip sort of game. Um, so there's like very little downtime and then. 
that's the one sort of weird thing about the game is you just sort of resolve the cards in whatever order makes sense. Um, but it's a very casual game. It just keeps moving. Everyone has 20 health and you just have to like uh, kill everyone else, basically be the last one standing. And it's just really fast. And, you know, matches can be like, you know, three minutes or 10 minutes and you just play, as, you know, a bunch of matches. Um, and yeah, so at PAX, we had a few a few runs through it. And it's just and, and there's some cards that are like way overpowered that yeah. you might just draw and play under the right circumstances. But it's really fun because you'll just like, well, I just killed everyone like let's do a new match now that was what i thought was so so fun about it is is it's all this cool like spy tech and there's a few cards in there that it's like doomsday device it's, it's, right, right. And, and, but it's but there are like really strategic decisions to be made about that because everybody can turn on you and people can cancel out your cards and uh, yeah, we had a great time playing Spy Fight. Yeah, one that's like that is as soon as you play a card, you basically win in five turns. Yeah. Um, if no one killed you by then. So you instantly make yourself a target, um, but you're, then you're trying to survive for a few turns, uh, yeah. which is fun. And it's actually one thing I appreciate about the game. And it, I, this is another one that's like Kickstarter only right now, but I'm sure it will be available widely soon i have to assume um is uh at the time when he played apex he was like all right take out your phone and open the calculator app because uh, that's where you keep track of your health you have 20 health um but he actually found really clever ways of doing everything just in cards like you have a health card that has 20 just like you know numbers one through 20 printed on it and then another character card that you just line up an arrow with whatever your health is at so you're measuring your health just with two cards oh, cool. and then also the instructions are printed on seven different cards and those cards you can also use like that card where you have to life says for five turns you just take five of the instruction cards face down and those are your representations so just within this one deck of cards he manages to sort of pull out all the logistics necessary for a full board game which is i thought was really clever and uh not something i expected from that final version but it's cool how he figured that stuff out that's awesome so again that's called spy fight uh very very cool Ah, oh, Nick, I love, I love it. I wish. Uh, I just want to play some games with you. Yeah, man. I know. I wish we could play right now. Uh, all right, so we're gonna wrap up the show now. We do have parting gifts coming, so stick around for those. But Nick Sutner, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Uh, where can people keep up with you and what's going on? I know that you are not um, doing anything exactly front facing right now, or or am I wrong? Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm doing sort of the freelance consultant life and and figuring things out. Generally, I've spent a few months now just sort of exploring options and uh, trying to sort of not get a full time job and work with a couple different people, which um, I want to give that a try. Um, and doing some writing as well. I did some writing and uh, editing on uh, the indie game Celeste by Matt Thorson, who made Towerfall, um, which is coming out later this month, which is an awesome game um, that I hope you guys will talk about in a future show. But it's a great game, so I sort of helped out with writing on that and i'm looking to do some more game writing now um but yeah not a lot of else sort of public facing yet uh people can find me at n sutner on twitter that's probably the easiest place uh i put up a website nicksutner.com for myself that's just sort of a history of stuff i've done but not too i'm not sort of keeping that going uh every week but um but yeah it's been it's been uh great uh hanging out with you guys awesome well we appreciate it christian how about you what do you got going on this week other than getting well uh, if you're in LA or Burbank, I guess specifically, I'm doing a show at Flappers on Wednesday. If you're in LA and want to come to a show, um, other than that, I don't know right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, da, 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 parenting podcast, Department of Parenting. You can find it at departmentofparenting.com. Uh, I hope to start streaming again a little more regularly here. My Twitch, which is just Christian Spicer. 
And then I started putting up at least 20 more minutes. Uh, it still goes out to patrons first on Tuesdays. You can find that at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. But then it, it goes public um, on the Uninformed Opinions podcast feed on Fridays. So the every week show will go out on that uh, Uninformed Opinions feed on Fridays. And then patrons will get it first and any bonus episodes and stuff like that will remain exclusive to the Patreon feed. But for 2018, the at least 20 more minutes, you can find it over on the Uninformed Opinions feed on Fridays. Jeff, what about you? Well, I've got several other shows for you guys to check out. I hope the one you will give uh, a shot at most, most recently or most uh, currently is my show on Hulu called Defining Moments which Ooh. is a uh, a show all about esports. It's kind of like ESPN's 30 for 30 but for esports where I um interview people and we talk about crazy moments in the history of esports across a whole number of games uh and it shows why those moments were cool and the people behind them. Uh, I think it's really cool. All 6 episodes are now currently out and available on Hulu. So you can binge watch Defining Moments should you choose. Um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to make more of them. So if you guys watch them and like them, I'd love to hear what you think, by the way. If you want to send me a, a tweet about what you think, I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, and uh, I would love to hear it. So check it out. If you got Hulu, search for Defining Moments. I also have a daily video game show, uh, including today's episode of the daily video game show, Newest, Latest, Best. Uh, it, what we have recorded live down at Disneyland talking about that Star Wars VR experience with the two other guys that I was there with. Um, so here are like immediate reaction as we walked out and we're still giddy with fun. Uh, you can hear that uh, by searching for newest, latest, best on any podcast platform or by going to anchor.fm slash NLB. One other small thing uh, I guess I should maybe promote too, because uh, Christian mentioned earlier the Shadow of the Colossus uh, remake coming out on a remaster on February 6th, I believe, which is super soon, um, is the book I wrote about it for Boss Fight Books a couple of years ago, which is um, we're going to put it on sale as well uh, very soon for the couple of weeks leading up to it, um, which is I think it's a pretty fun like companion guide for the game. It's a good sort of like travel log to read it that way. So if you've never played it, it might be cool to like, you know, fight a Colossus, then read a chapter and go back and forth like that. Right. Um, so yeah so how do people find that is there an easy way to oh yeah so bossfightbooks.com is the best place to buy it from you can also find it on Amazon it's just called Shadow of the Colossus uh, and Boss Fight Books is the label awesome very very cool I'm going to watch your esports show tonight I didn't know about it I hope you like you should send me a a text or tweet or something to let me know what you think of it and and you can be brutally honest I I would love to know Uh, awesome All right, Uh, let's wrap the show up now uh, with our parting gifts Nick, do you have a suggestion uh, to help people get through their week that might not be a video game? Uh, I do. I have a couple, but I'll keep it super quick. Um, I've been watching a show called Dark on Netflix um, that is sort of like a much darker German Stranger Things <laughs> uh, where like a kid goes missing. I also recommend people actually turn like it's it's dubbed by default. So like turn on the English subtitles and the German audio track. Um, but it's sort of this uh, kid goes missing and then the show turns out to sort of take place across multiple time periods, which you learn pretty early on. But um, I'm only like three episodes in, but it's pretty interesting and does. I, I I'm sort of I like dropped off Stranger Things season two in the middle of it. I'll maybe go back to it. But um, but this was sort of a nice change of pace where it's, I don't know, just very, uh, very stylish in a different way and uh, a little more mature, I guess, um, which was cool. I 
also have been watching Halt and Catch Fire, which I realize has been out for years and there's like four seasons on on Netflix, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. And the opening titles of that show are my favorite opening titles for any show ever. Hmm. And it is a joy to watch it every time because of them. And then my quick last thing is uh, an album uh, by a band called Partner. uh, And the album is called In Search of Lost Time. And I got to read you this one great line from their Bandcamp page, which says, uh, Partner is unflinching in its exploration of intimacy, friendship, sexuality, drugs, and the existential predicament of being a lesbian barista in the year 2017. (laughs) Uh, That says it all, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So it's got some really fun lyrics. Um, But it just feels like a sweet, like, lost album from, like, the mid to late 90s, like a ween album or something something uh, just like really fun uh rock uh, like a little weezer-esque as well um just like i mean I, I i listen to a lot of weird stuff and a lot of punk and stuff but this just feels like a very accessible thing that like if you grew up listening to music in the 90s you will likely enjoy and they also have some fun skits in between songs on the album so awesome anyway partner in search of lost time yeah i wasn't sure if i was supposed to pick one thing here no. i probably was but. what the merrier i love it appreciate it uh christian how about you about a parting gift I only picked one, but uh, Chappelle dropped two specials on New Year's Eve, and I've only watched one of them, The Bird Revelation, and it's the one that he filmed in front of a very small and intimate audience in the belly room of the Comedy Store here in Los Angeles, and the belly room is the smallest showroom of the Comedy Store, and then um, he limited tickets to even less than what it, it could actually hold. And it is a really, really cool special. It is not a laughs per minute um, winner by any stretch of the imagination where I'd imagine equanimity or whatever his other one is called is probably quote unquote funnier. But this one feels like it's there's a few specials like this, but this is a type of special that um, feels like you get a glimpse into a comedian working and so it's something that I get to see fairly often. And if you're in LA or New York, you get to see fairly often where like Bill Burr pops in and does 20 and you're just kind of in the back of the room watching him work or Chappelle walks in or Seinfeld or whatever. Um, but the fact that they made this a special and put it out for anybody to watch and it is funny, but he also just talks for a bit and he talks about um, Harvey Weinstein and the, the shakeup that's happening in Hollywood. And he talks about, walking away from $50 million at Comedy Central. And in the middle of it, he has jokes and stuff as well, obviously. But it's a, it's a really cool, intimate special. And maybe if you if you skipped it and only watched the other one, give uh, The Bird Revelation a chance. It's on Netflix. Very cool. Uh, we did get a listener-suggested parting gift. If you want to suggest a parting gift, you can do so by emailing us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Actually, any kind of feedback is welcome as at uh, that address as well. Uh, this comes from listener Matt McClard. And speaking of comedy, he says, My wife and I took a vacation to Chicago this year. While there, I got to mark off an item I've had on my bucket list for a long time, seeing an improv show at the Second City. Growing up, my heroes were Chris Farley, Mike Myers, Bill Murray, and John Belushi. To be honest, there were too many even to name. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler later made that list. Seeing where they all performed in their early days of comedy was so cool. Anyway, it was amazing. And if anyone is in Chicago, it is a must-see. Who knows where the performers you see will go. He says, but my parting gift doesn't end there. After combining too much fun and a little too much to drink, I looked up improv classes where I live and signed up. I've since completed the level one class and had a great time putting on a show with my classmates at 40 years old. It's one of the best things I've ever done. So I highly recommend trying something new, especially if it's something you've been wanting to do for a long time. Comedy can save the world. Very cool, Matt. Thank you. Congratulations for 
jumping outside your comfort zone and trying something new. That's great. Yeah, that's a great like New Year's resolution type of thing. Absolutely. And yeah, definitely. I can also recommend Second City. I mean, I grew up in Chicago and it's an amazing place. Uh, and a friend of mine, one of my best friends who was there a few years ago for a totally random show, had Tom Hanks drop into the show wow. to like just uh, like do upset with some people. So that's the sort of thing you can like stumble across there. Amazing. What a night. That'd be cool. Uh, my parting gift uh, is another TV show. We were watching Black Mirror and stuff and it, and it was awesome, but it was so dark. And so and just like <laughs> we were just getting depressed. And I was like, you know what we should go back to? Let's go watch Last Man on Earth and catch up with that because we had not watched any of this season. I clicked over to Hulu and I loaded up Last Man on Earth. And oh my, I just love that show. I love that show. I know I've talked about it before as a parting gift, but I'm going to bring it up again. Season four, I think they're in now. Um, we caught all the way up with it. It's so clever. The thing that's so great about Last Man on Earth is they constantly change the status quo. They're constantly in a new place, doing a new thing. The way the characters behave to each other is evolving. It's never resting on its laurels or being the same thing regurgitated. It's always continuing to evolve and move forward. And I just, I love Will Forte. I think he's brilliant. And uh, I love that show. So if you haven't been watching Last Man on Earth, give it a shot. It's so fun and so funny. I, I was about to ask if that was his show because I remember seeing like it promoted years ago and never ended up watching it. But I like him a lot and I've never really heard anyone like recommend it firsthand. So I'm glad to hear that because I, I have been meaning to to check it out. Oh, I love I think it. I was it's, waiting for that recommendation. It's so funny. And, the, and there are lots of great other SNL alum cameos that happen here and there. And uh, yeah, I, I I can heartily recommend it. It's great. Nice. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Nick Sutner and Christian Spicer for hanging out. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room who hung out and made the show better in real time by being here. Thank you, guys. Uh, you can always listen to the show. Um, we record now on Sunday evenings. Uh, you can find us on twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer or caffeine.tv slash Jeff Canada. And uh, thank you to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those bumpers. Thanks to all of you for listening. We really appreciate it. Excited for a new year of DLC. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.